Today's lesson in the Word of God comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. 1 Kings, chapter 19. We'll begin reading this story that takes place after the famous events in chapter 18, which I'll talk about in a little while. So 1 Kings 19, and you'll easily find it right before 2 Kings. So you will not have a hard time finding it. And uh, I always like to give good directions. So 1 Kings 19, verse, uh, it's early on in the Bible, so it's not that far into, maybe one-fifth, one-fourth, not even one-fourth of the way through the Bible. And verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a a broom uh, tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. And we are going to see this story. This is a, a wonderful story, but I think it's important especially timely today, because how in the world do you deal with life when life itself doesn't seem to deal very well with you? How do you respond to a world that seemingly leaves you alone? How do you handle things when you feel like no one else understands and no one else is with you? That is a situation that affected Elijah the prophet And it is a situation that I think we should try to understand and be faithful to learn what God had to say to Elijah. Now, Elijah was a great prophet. A prophet was a person who God chose to serve him by preaching, usually preaching, sometimes telling something like uh, they might even predict the future. And oftentimes they could predict the future. They would say something's going to happen and it would happen. Uh, So prophets had a combined duty of a preacher 
And also, uh, they foretold many events that happened. They forecasted events, but they were never mistaken because the God-given prophets, every time they said it was going to happen, it happened, you know. God took care of it. Uh, There's one exception was when uh, I think Isaiah said to Hezekiah, you're going to die, and Hezekiah went and prayed, and God told Isaiah to go back and tell Hezekiah that he's got 15 more years. So uh, even sometimes God can change the way he uh, acts towards us when we pray. So don't give up on prayer, even if a prophet comes to you and tells you some bad news. But I will tell you this, that Elijah, he was also more than just a preacher, and he was more than someone who just predicted the future occasionally. He was a man who, through his prayers, worked miracles. So he's a miracle worker. Uh, he had prayed that it wouldn't rain on the earth, and it didn't rain for three years. So that's you're pretty close to the Lord if you can just say, Lord, I don't want it to rain for three years, and it doesn't rain for three years. Now, you wouldn't pray that prayer unless you had a purpose, and that's not nor- normally a good prayer to pray, but he did it because Israel was violating God's laws all the time. And I would say a fourth thing that prophets did is that they were very political. I know that we have been conditioned to think that preachers and politics should never mix, and I was taught that as a kid, and and, and I agree in a sense that we do not want the church to be the, 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 the convention of the political parties. That, that's not right, because the political parties, I think, largely would, would drift away from God anyway, left to their own devices. So we need to make sure that we never allow politics to be our main business as a church. But if there's something we need to talk about in this country, or any country, and if a God given prophet or a person, the Bible says that the, the, the bishops and the, and the preachers in the Bible are supposed to preach like the prophets did. So sometimes they have to talk about politics. You remember John the Baptist, whenever King Herod was doing something he should not do with his brother's wife, he called him out publicly because it was an open sin, an open scandal, and King Herod had not repented, and even though he was the king, he didn't have an excuse. So John the Baptist knew that he was risking his life. And eventually Herod did chop off his head. It wasn't because of that, but something else. But nevertheless, the prophets, they are are not people who were very liked. (laughs) A lot of times people didn't like them because if the people had sinned and then they're preaching a message that's negative, the people will say, oh, I'm tired of hearing that. I'm tired of hearing that. How many, I, I, I literally, from the 1980s to the present day, I think that most preachers have been conditioned to believe, except in rare circumstances, that when you preach judgment, that that's bad. And that when you preach that something negative is going to happen because as a consequence, I should say, of our sins, that is a uh, not going to be popular with the people. Well, it isn't going to be popular, that's for sure. But, but I look in the Bible, and those prophets, they preached the truth, and, and they didn't wash their message down. They didn't water it down. They preached the truth. So that's the kind of man that Elijah was. 
He did all these things. He was a miracle worker. He preached God's word. He predicted the future. Uh, he, he also confronted the leaders of his day with the things that they had done wrong. So that is the kind of man that Elijah was. And then he had his greatest victory. He absolutely challenged the prophets of Baal, who was a, a heathen god. And by the way, it's good to use the word heathen. If you don't know what it means, look it up and put it back into your vocabulary because uh, you might say, oh, heathen, it describes modern day Americans. <laughs> modern day people. So, but, but, but certainly Elijah, he confronted the heathen and the heathen God Baal. Now, this was a terrible God. The, the people who worshiped this God participated in awful things, in, including child sacrifice. So there, it was awful. And the queen of Israel was a woman, an evil woman named Jezebel. Jezebel had killed hundreds of people who believed in God, the true God. And she made everybody worship Baal. And so Elijah confronted these people, and as he confronted them, he had a contest, as you know, in which he had two altars. He said, let's have a contest. Uh, we will both sides have an altar with a sacrifice, but we will pray, and the God who answers by fire to burn the sacrifice will win. So the prophets of Baal, they didn't win. Their God didn't answer by fire. They tried, they cut themselves, they did everything in the world, nothing worked. Then Elijah, he prayed after he doused it with water numerous times, made it soaking wet. He prayed that God would answer by fire and he did and, and God's fire came from heaven miraculously and, and just licked the whole thing up completely and consumed it. So the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They had no doubt the Lord was God. And so these killers, these murderous priests of Baal were executed by the people under the direction of Elijah. Now, how, I don't know too many preachers out executing people, <laughs> okay? And I'm not really wanting that job, but that's the kind of man Elijah was. He was a prophet, and uh, these people who were executed by the people under the direction of Elijah, these were people who were murderers. And uh, so they deserved it. They're not people who you can say, oh, they didn't deserve that, that. So Elijah says, well, I've won, you know. I mean, everybody admits that God is God. The whole crowd said, "God, is, the Lord is God. And the prophets of Baal, the lead prophets have been killed he had accomplished his job, and then the queen ends up having a death sentence placed upon uh, Elijah. She puts a bounty on his head. Elijah hears about it, and he just runs for his life. Now, I know we say a lot of things about Elijah, and I know I preach this too, and I know many preachers do. Elijah won the great victory, but he let the threat of a woman cause him to be scared. Now, it's easy for us to judge Elijah. It's easy for us to say that Elijah was uh, not being consistent, that he should have uh, had faith. And it's easy for us to, to say, oh, Elijah, why didn't you just stay there and stand your ground? But 
Elijah was just a human being. I mean, really, Elijah had an expectation. He thought, surely, after all that has been done, these people are going to believe and do the right thing. And guess what? He was still threatened. He was still going through a hard time. But not only that, I want to say to you that Elijah, he got scared because literally his life was threatened. What is it that frightens us? Are we being threatened with our lives by our enemies today? Are people saying, if you go to church today, we will shoot you and kill you? I hope that doesn't happen, but it could. And we know that we allow a lot less to discourage us. Do we not? Do we not? I mean, how many people have signed a bounty against your name as long as you've been alive on earth? Has, has anybody, has the law ever put a, a wanted poster with your picture on it? Wanted, dead, or alive? Well, they, Jezebel didn't make that poster. She said, wanted, dead. <laughs> That's what she said. It was no alive. Wanted, dead. So let's, let's have some sympathy for Elijah. He had this great victory, and yet now... He knows he's going to face certain deaths if he stayed there. At least he feels that way. So I don't blame him, frankly. I think that we get discouraged for a lot less, do we not? But I have to say that isn't it wonderful that even when we break down, we get to the end of our ropes. Well, we can't handle something anymore. When we get to the point to where frustrations really begin to mount up and we have so much weight that we literally fall down and we say, I can't do anymore, that God doesn't give up on us. <laughs> he doesn't give up on us. And so Elijah took off. He left the country. He goes from Israel down to Judah. Remember, Israel and Judah were two separate countries by that time. And then he leaves the man who was helping him, his helper, and he just takes off and he's going to go into the wilderness. But the scripture says here that after, when he lay down uh, in a, uh, under a broom tree, that an angel showed up. And notice that Elijah, in verse number four, he actually, after he camped out under this broom tree, he prayed to God. He says, Lord, just take me and let me die. He just wanted to die. He really felt that he was tired. And I do believe that we know that people uh, do get frustrated to the point they just wish to die. They'd rather die than live. And Elijah, although he had great victories, he was a miracle worker, a great preacher, God had his hand on him, he just wanted to die. He, he was, he's given up. He, he had reached the end of his rope. And, and, and he did tell the Lord Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And so he goes on. So he lay down, he slept, and then the angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water in verse 6. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. So he, so he had food. Not only did he have food, but he had food that God provided for him. He didn't have to cook it, didn't have to buy it, didn't have to kill it, didn't have to do any of these things. It was just provided. So I want us to learn that if God, 
He knows us. He knows your, your depressions. He knows your moods. He knows what you can handle, what you can't handle. He knows when you throw a fit. And Elijah, I think, was a man who could throw a fit with the best of them. So he, Elijah was having a temper tantrum, and he was upset, and he'd given up. But God knew how to encourage him. And God fed him and took care of this man, and Elijah didn't even ask for it. Elijah asked for the opposite. You see, sometimes we are so stubborn, and we're so convinced that there is no hope that we will go to God and say, just end it, Lord when we should be saying, no, don't quit, keep going. But God didn't quit. And God encouraged Elijah. And Elijah, his stomach was growling a little bit. <laughs> he, he did get up and eat. And then he went back and he rested again. But then after that, the angel does it again. The second time he touches him, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he had to build himself up. He had a journey. He had to go do something. And we all have something to do in this world. Don't, as long as you have breath, as long as you have your mind, as long as you have any abilities at all, there's a job for you. You may want to give up, but don't give up because God has a plan and he wants to feed you and strengthen you and give you what you need so that you can accomplish the plan. So God had sent this angel and the angel said, you've got a journey ahead and you need to be strong or you don't want you dying on the side of the road, literally. He wanted to provide for Elijah. So he ate and drank and, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now we think that Horeb is Mount Sinai or close to it down in the Sinai Peninsula. That's a long journey. So he goes on a trip for 40 days and 40 nights. That number 40 is a very important number in the Bible. It's often associated with trials and difficulties. You remember it rained 40 days and 40 nights. You remember the spies went to the land in uh, the book of Numbers, I believe it was, and they spent 40 days there in that time. Moses spent 40, day, 40 years in Egypt growing up, 40 years in the desert when he ran away, and 40 years in the wilderness with the people of God. The number 40 is a very significant number. Jesus himself went into the wilderness for 40 days and nights and fasted. So we know that Ezekiel, he also laid on his right side for 40 days in, to, to illustrate the condition of the nation of Judah. So 40 is a, is, is a number that's a number for trials, but it's not a number for things that are permanent. See, the good thing about the number 40 is, is that it is a trial. It's usually a time of difficulty. It's a passing of time, but it is the passing of time. Remember, it's something that has an end. And every trial that God puts us through is temporary. And the number 40, if you think about it, is just two days shy of uh, six weeks. So six weeks is what? 42 days. So in, in if you can endure something for 40 days and 40 nights, if you can establish something in 40 days and 40 nights, that's a challenge to you, but is something that will help you in your life, it'll break you from your previous pattern of living. It takes 
usually about 40 days to do this. So there is a, a wonderful way in which God has used this pattern of 40s to break the cycles of what I call the bad cycles. It took the 40 years in the wilderness to break the people from their bad habits they had established in Egypt. And I think it takes 40 days sometimes to break a bad habit in your personal life. And by going through this time, whatever it may be, and you look at it this way, it's not a time that's forever. It's a temporary thing. It has a process that you go through, but you get through it and you survive, hopefully. And I think that God wants all of us to realize that he plans for us to go through hard times for a purpose, but it's not final. It's not the end. Elijah thought that he should just die, but God said, no, but you do have some hard times. But you got to go through it, Elijah. I want you to make it all the way through. And we should be the same way. So let's see where he goes once he gets down there in the mountain. In verse number nine, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So the Lord basically said, Elijah, what are you doing? Why, why are you running away? Why are you acting the way you're acting? And so we find in verse 10 that Elijah answers honestly. He says, I have been very zealous, meaning that he has been enthusiastic, he has been diligent. To, and he says, I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. That's true, they had. Torn down your altars, they had done that. And killed your prophets with the sword, they had done that. But here's where he says, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Well, a lot of them did seek to take his life, but the one thing he said was false was, I am I alone am left, but we're going to find that out in a minute. So then he said, this is the Lord, said to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So he goes out into this holy mountain. He goes out and he's got a, the Lord evidently is going to come by and visit him. That's kind of a big deal, if you ask me. So he goes out and behold, the Lord passed by. Now, but notice what does happen and what isn't the Lord. So he, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. So it was like, a, I guess, a tornado. This huge wind came in and just broke the rocks up. That's how powerful the wind was. That would impress you. You would say, well, that has to be the Lord. You know, you got to say, oh, I'm going to meet the Lord. And you see a tornado coming at you. You're going to probably believe, oh, no, I'm in trouble now. But the Bible says, but the Lord was not in the wind. So that wasn't the Lord. See, we think God sometimes has to fit our preconceived notions of what he should be doing. And I, I know for a fact that we have crazy expectations for God in our lives. We expect God to do things and, and snap and, and, and rather uh, march at our snapping of our fingers, and he doesn't do that. God doesn't act the way we expect him to. So Elijah thinks, oh, this has got to be the Lord, but it wasn't the Lord. It was just a tornado. <laughs> it was just a, a wind. Now, next, he says, 
after the wind and earthquake. Well, that would get your attention too. I mean, the whole mountain shaking and rocks sliding everywhere, that'd get your, uh, it has to be the Lord, right? But it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. <laughs> and after the earthquake, a fire, it was a huge fire, a brush fire came through or, or maybe a torch of fire, who knows, a pillar of fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, a still small voice, a whisper, and the Lord was in the whisper, by the way. Sometimes God wants our quiet times because he doesn't always talk to us by shouting, does he? He talks to us often when we're quiet and listening. And that's what he wants for all of us. He wants us to speak with us. And so the Lord, it says here, it was when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> so, so the Lord asked the same question as though nothing he had said before merited him running away. And, and he said, again, he, Elijah said the same thing. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. In verse 14, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, which is not Israel. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Now, Syria was a thorn in the side of Israel quite often. But sometimes God used Syria as his means of punishing his people. So God himself told Elijah to go and anoint this particular man to be the new king. Now, Elijah may have think, thought he was alone. He may have thought that he has no importance and no influence. But in fact, God is using Elijah to be the means of correcting the very problem that he's complaining about. And God wants to use us not to be people feeling as people who feel sorry for themselves, but as people who are actually going to change what's wrong. And Elijah had no idea he was going to have this influence. But Elijah is personally responsible for anointing this foreigner to be the king of Syria so that he can do God's will and accomplish God's task, because guess what? God's in charge of politics, folks. He's in charge, and he wants us to be sensitive so that the anointing of God would come upon those leaders that are the ones he wants to be in charge. So, but, but God's not finished yet. You're, you're gonna anoint Haziel here and in Damascus as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Well, Jehu, he is going to be the new king. So King Ahab and Jezebel and all those people, they are not going to last. And Jehu is going to be the man that someday is going to take over Israel. And he will end that wicked woman Jezebel and her influence. So it was that Jehu is the man who's going to solve the very problems in Israel, or at least eliminate many of the problems. 
that Elijah talked about. And then the third person that Elijah is supposed to go see is a man named Elisha. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So in other words, don't worry about yourself, Elijah. I've got a man who's going to fit in and take over in your place someday. But it's not time yet. You got to keep living. You got a job to do, and you need to go get this guy, Elijah. He'll be a backup for you. He'll take care of things for you. You don't have to worry about this man because I got somebody special in mind. So you're going to anoint this man, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, to be a prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. See, the prophets had great power. You didn't want to stand against a prophet of God. He could bring judgment upon you. Yet I have reserved, and this is where God corrects Elijah's prayer. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So not everybody was actually a follower of Baal. It wasn't true that Elijah was alone. There were 7,000 people who still loved God and didn't bow down to that foreign god Baal, and God heard their prayers, and guess what? God numbered them and remembered them and even testified about them to Elijah. I, I tell you, I've not thought about this before, but I think it's going to be wonderful in heaven where, where all, every one of these 7,000 people are going to have that as a badge of honor. I was one of the 7,000. I was one of the 7,000. And I mean, won't you want to go meet these people? Said, wow, you're one of those 7,000 because everybody else was just heathen, you know? But you were living right. Wonderful. So they got, their names are known by God and in heaven we'll get to know these people. Elisha and Elijah. Elijah becomes a great, is a great prophet and Elisha becomes an even greater prophet in many ways. And it's God's plan for us to face difficulties. It's God's plan for us sometimes to crash and maybe even feel like it's the end and feel depressed. It may be God's plan for us that we suffer from this discouragement, but it's not God's plan that you stay there. It's his plan that you pass through it and get to the other side. And that's what the Lord did. He had to go through it. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, and now he's alive forevermore. And we need to have that hope in our daily lives, even though, I have to admit, we often fail to remember how great God really is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for giving us a time to be here today, and thank you for your love that you give to us daily. Help us to not live our lives where we give up. But even when we do feel like giving up, send us the angels to feed us and send us the, the, the word of encouragement to know we're not alone and help us and all Christians who are currently suffering in our country and in other countries because the message of Jesus is not popular and is not being received well by the powers that be. Lord, take note of that and replace those leaders with godly leadership in the future. We ask that you would do this in the name of Jesus, and amen.